We're going to cover something a little different this morning. Get 2 Corinthians chapter 10, if you would, please. 2 Corinthians 10. While the kids are getting sorted out, you can find your place in the Bible so long. 2 Corinthians 10. And you might want to do one of these things with your fingers if, you, if you're, you know, just to get them ready because by the grace of God, we're going to cover quite a bit of stuff this morning. And uh, we're going to talk about pulling down strongholds. There's a lot to say about this. 2 Corinthians 10, we're going to begin reading in verse 3 and come down to verse 5 with it. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5. You might remember not too long ago on Thursday evening during our midweek service, I gave you an extended series on spiritual warfare. I am going to teach on the same topic tonight, and much of this will be summary information, things that you've recently heard. And by no means am I taking that entire series and putting it into this lesson. Okay, please know that. We, we could truly go on and on with this subject. But as we head into December, I know many of you are, you know, you have plans to, to get away and get some uh, much needed leisure time and thank God for that. But I, I want to cover this important topic because even while you're on vacation, while you're trying to rest, the spiritual battle doesn't stop. It's not like you tell the devil you're on vacation so he leaves you alone, right? He doesn't care. He, our adversary walks about seeking whom he may devour regardless of where or when or if you're on vacation or, or not. So uh, verse 3, Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, <clears throat> we do not war after the flesh. The spiritual battle is a real thing. Did you know it's been going on all week in your life? Did you know that? You say, I didn't think about it. I didn't feel it. No, no, you didn't recognize it. You probably felt it, but understood it as something else coming at you. But, but the battle is not only spiritual, but there is a spiritual battle. Now, the way we as Christians fight the spiritual battle is not after the flesh. We do not use fleshly means, worldly means. We do not use natural means, our own wisdom wisdom we do not go about it with physical things we use spiritual things to combat this problem wow that is really jumping verse 4 he says for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds verse 5 casting down imaginations understand the terminology here imaginations is a system of thinking Right? We, we all have imaginations, right? And, and they're not bad things, especially with little children, right? I love watching little children with their imaginations get running, and man, they, you can come up with some fantastic uh, stuff. However, that imagination can get you in trouble when you start imagining that God is a certain way when He's not. And, and when you have that false image of God in your mind, it needs to be cast down. You know another word in the Bible for idol is image? Right? The Israelites, they worship, we say, false idols. And in some places, they're called images. So he says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. So the devil's aim is to get you to think about God the wrong way. Now, guys, that's a big statement. That covers a lot of stuff. Not just his character, but what does God expect from you? If you think God has these expectations when they're, when they're actually these, 
you're, you're going to end up discouraged thinking you're disappointing God when you're not. And vice versa, you might lower the bar and think God's happy when He's not. So it's very important we get on the same page with the Lord. And every high thing that exalteth itself against them, that doesn't mean the devil's not going to attack. Right? But there, there are some boundaries, and he can't overstep those. So he can't take your soul, but he can attack your mind and your heart. Now, without getting too deep into it, these are functions of the spirit. The mind and the heart. This is your intellect and your emotions. Your intellect and your emotions. I think you're all familiar with the verse in Philippians chapter 4. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What, what is the Lord trying to protect? Your heart, your mind. Because the devil is going to do everything he can to create chaos in those two areas. Now listen, it will affect your flesh. It will affect your soul. It will affect every part of your life. But to get you thinking wrong, feeling wrong. That's the arena of the spiritual battle. So in verse number 4, we see the, the term stronghold. A stronghold. A stronghold is a fortified place. It is meant to protect a given area. You build a high wall. You put high towers on each corner of the wall. And then you have trained, armed men protecting against any enemy attack. The devil will throw up high walls and have high towers. And th those high walls are built brick by brick. Right Now watch how this works. Brick by brick, every brick is a thought. Look at the end of verse 5. Bringing into captivity every what? Every thought. Do you see that? Every thought. Now when you say every, you're talking about every single one of them. So that's one by one. So think of this as a massive wall and massive towers built brick by brick. The devil comes in and introduces thoughts. And those thoughts, one by one, create... A stronghold. So a stronghold is a collection of wrong thoughts. Another way to say that, another way to refer to the stronghold is an imagination. Right? So how do you think it works? Right? Just answer that question. How do you think it works? And then you would go on to answer that question. I think serving God, loving God, knowing God works like we lay it out. That's in your imagination, that's how it works we got to be careful that as we answer that question, as we think through, why am I here? What does God expect from me? Who is God? How do I know Him? How do I walk with Him? How do I know if I'm saved or not? All of the important questions in life, we have to make sure that we get the right bricks in the right place. And when we don't, because, listen, we're human, we get confused. Amen? We, sometimes we get off track. Sometimes our emotions get the best of us. And then we need to do some tearing down and rebuilding. Okay, so don't be ashamed if, if you have to throw a, a few bricks down and start again. That's just life. And, and that's what we're commanded to do. Bring into captivity every thought. And, and make sure we bring it in line with what Christ expects from us. Does that make sense? At the end of verse 5, I'm not obeying Christ with this particular thing. This is not what Jesus taught me to think, feel, do, say, 
I'll take that brick down and put the right one in. See, and, and in so doing, and sometimes, guys, you have to just throw down the entire wall. You have to just stand back and go, I have made a complete mess. I approached this completely wrong. Let me just start again. So take your Bible, come to Colossians chapter 2. And guys, forgive us, the sound system is a bit wonky, but that's really beyond our control, especially when it's load shedding, we're working on a generator. For some reason, it fluctuates more at that time. So forgive me if I'm not trying to overemphasize certain parts. It's not not me, I'm not getting loud, I promise. Colossians chapter 2. All right, let's break this down and make it real simple. Get verse number uh, 6, Colossians 2, 6. So a stronghold, we're told to pull them down. A stronghold, the devil builds them, and the Lord builds them. Right? The Lord also wants to protect your heart and mind, yes? So so you can fortify your mind. That can be a good thing if you're putting the right bricks in, in the right place. Now, obviously, this is where it gets simple. The Lord is going to give you truth upon truth upon truth upon truth. Is that right? Truth upon truth. Today, I'm talking about the spiritual battle and how the devil does this and that. It could be your flesh. It could be the world putting the wrong brick in your life. Okay. But, but I'm calling it the devil today because he's the mastermind behind all that is trying to take us down. Is that fair? The Bible says he is the God of this world. So so he's aware of, you know, he can use the world system to get to us. Jesus prayed like this for us. He was talking to the Father in John 17. He said, said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now he's praying specifically in that passage that God would help us as his people stay separated from the world and not be part of the world system. We are not to be of the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. That means the world does not dictate how we think, feel, or act. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So Jesus' prayer was, God, keep giving them your word, and that will keep them separate from all these dangerous things. Colossians 2 verse 6, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. All right, you received him by faith. Yes, so you are to walk by faith. What is faith? Faith is God revealing his word to you and then you believing it. You have to have both elements. If God does not reveal his word to you and you just make something up and say, well, I believe this because, you know, I believe it. I have people tell me this all the time. They come and they say, Pastor, you know, you said this and that, but I feel that it's this way. Well, be careful there. Did you get saved by saying, I feel as if I'm saved? That's not how we get saved. That's not, that's not the right approach. Now, we all have feelings. It's okay to admit that. But what we want to do is take those feelings, those thoughts, and bring them in line with, with Christ. Now, verse 7. So walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him. Built up, brick by brick. And established in the what? The faith. Do you see that? Not established in faith. Not, not established in a system that you created in your own mind. That would be an imagination that needs to be cast down. Established in the faith. In many places in the New Testament, that phrase is used. And the faith is specifically the faith of Jesus Christ. Those are the things that He has taught us about God, about ourselves. We have to be established in that. 
Okay? Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. All right? God wants to fortify you with the truth, and, and in the New Testament, we call that body of truth the faith. You need to be established in that. You've, you've heard me say this many times. Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you believe it? Have you seen it in the Bible? Do you, now, you say, but you know, I'm not so good with remembering you know, the address of the verse. I can't point to it. But have you seen it in the Bible? Established. Now, verse 8 goes into the, let's say, stronghold of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Verse 8, beware lest any man spoil you. Spoil, that's, he's attacking, right? And he wants to destroy you and take all the goods. That's spoiling. That's the spoils of war. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. What's philosophy? A way of thinking. It's an ideology. So be careful that somebody doesn't show up and give you a system and say, well, here's how I think it works. Paul says, beware of that. Because Jesus already told us how it works. Be established in that. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. What is vain deceit? A lie that makes you think you're better than you are. It, it, it adds to vanity. You know, be the best you that you can be. Every day is a Friday. That's, that's not biblical. Jesus never taught that. He says in verse 8, in the middle, after the tradition of men, how many people, their, their spiritual life is grounded. It is the foundation of it is not Christ and the Bible. It is what their mom and dad taught them. We do this, we go to church, we practice our religion in this and that way because that's what we've always done. And Paul says that, that's not how you get rooted and grounded. Beware of that. Traditions of men after the rudiments of the world. Rudiments are the basic principles. The, these are the fundamental rules by which you live. Beware of that, he says. Beware of that. Th th things like this. I'll give you an example. A few examples. It's okay to do this. Everybody else is doing it. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Where's that verse? Well, and this is a good one. Got to make a living somehow. Okay, does, 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 that, does that make that right? Got to make a living somehow. Really? That's how the world thinks. That's how the devil would have you approach life. I, here's a really good one. It's not my fault. She started it. Adam. Yeah. Almost all of these rudiments, these basic first principles, you can find them in Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden, by the way. But th these are the type of things that the world thinks. That's how they approach life. Beware of that. Take your Bible, look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. You saw there at the end of Colossians 2, it, it, finished that, it finished the verse by saying, not after Christ. So anything in your life that is, doesn't fall in line with, directly or indirectly, with what Christ taught us, it needs to be changed. 2 Timothy 2, let's get verse 24. 2, 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, so able to teach. 
verse 25, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Have you ever heard this phrase? You are your own worst enemy. That's the biblical way of saying it. They oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the what? Truth. What, what is our job? How do we minister to people that are struggling spiritually? We give them truth. Because the reason they're in a spiritual mess is they've been caught up in a lie. And it is messing with how they think intellectually and it's messing with how they feel emotionally. How many times have people tried to treat a spiritual problem with physical means? I'll take a pill and fix... No, no, the, prob the reason you're in this turmoil, this inner turmoil, it's probably a spiritual issue. It's a stronghold that needs to be cast down. You cannot fix that with a pill. I'm not against medicine, right? Listen, I'm, I'm not against a psychologist. I think there's a time and a place for such things. But I think it is, it is grossly abused, especially within the body of Christ. Why don't we first check and, and, and you know, try to diagnose the problem properly? Am I struggling because I am at odds with what God taught me? And maybe that's why I'm feeling all this chaos, confusion, frustration in, in the inner man. So he said, let's, let's give them truth. Maybe, peradventure, God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. God will give them a chance to straighten things out by saying, I was wrong, God, you're right. Verse 26, and that they may recover themselves. Now look at that. You don't need somebody to come and lay hands on you and hobbada hobbada, Bam! and get the devil out. Now, I mean, there's some extreme cases. You might need a little help. Might have to push a little bit. <laughs> but this is, this is how you approach the spiritual battle. You expose yourself to truth, compare yourself with truth, and then say, I was wrong. That's the right way to do it, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. What is the snare? What is the trap? They didn't have the truth. It was a lie. They may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. So here's the age-old battle. Since the Garden of Eden, God says, here's what I want you to do. Eat of any tree. Don't eat from the tree in the middle. Do it my way. The devil comes in and says, ah, nonsense. Eve, God knows the day you eat thereof, you'll be as gods knowing good and evil. Do it your way. Do what makes you happy. You do you. From the beginning, that's the spiritual battle. That's what Satan's trying to get you to do. You don't need to be a Satan worshiper to be fulfilling the will of Satan. All you need to do is just be the best you you can be. You do you. What did Jesus, what did Jesus teach us? If you lose your life, you find it. If you find your life, you lose it. So when you find all these cheerleaders standing in pulpits saying, but you just get in touch with you and find out who you are and get your true identity. Oh, no, no, my identity is, is Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm supposed to be conformed to His image. I find my identity in Him, not in me. I've had enough of me. Amen. You've had enough of me. You can say amen right there. I've had enough of me. I don't need any more of me. I want more of Him. More about Jesus would I know. Right? That's what we need. 
Take your Bible, look at Matthew 16. This isn't part of the notes, but you need to see it. Matthew 16. God help me. I might have you here till 11 o'clock with this lesson, but we're going to make it through. Amen. Matthew 16. You guys are familiar with the story. Jesus tells the disciples, I'm going to go die. I'm going to die in Jerusalem. The enemies are going to do this and this and this. Peter speaks up and says, not so, Lord. I mean, he is doing this out of, out of a good place in his heart. He loves the Lord. The Lord's his friend. He wants to protect his friend. The will of God is Jesus must die. The will of God is not always very pleasing to your flesh. Often it's not. Peter is trying to protect his friend from this fateful outcome, this horrible outcome. Verse 23, but he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me. Oh, man. Peter's just trying to help. But he's trying to help like any other man would try to help his friend. And that's the devil. That's a spiritual attack. He says in verse 23, thou art an offense unto me. A stumbling block. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. You know what Satan will try to get you to do? Just act like everybody else. Just, just fit in. Be one of the guys. That's all. If he can accomplish that, then he wins. Because his objective is not necessarily to get everybody to fall down and worship him. I mean, he'll take that. But as long as you're not worshiping God. Right, Job? What was the battle about? I bet I can get him to curse you. Satan never said, I bet I can get Job to worship me. He just wanted Job to curse God. So he's happy if you will just do it the way you want to do it. Well, I don't see anything wrong with it. Rudiments of the world. What's wrong with it? Okay. What's right with it? He said, I don't see anything wrong with it. I'm not hurting anybody. Those are the kind of thoughts that the devil introduces and they pile up. And, and, and these thoughts become strongholds and I'll give you a real clear word for it. They become excuses for your disobedience. Well, I know Christ told me this and I know the Bible says that, but you know, with, with my situation, it's this. We're always the exception to the rule, aren't we? We're always the exception. I know I should, but... The devil, we know, is called the accuser, right? That's actually what the word devil means, accuser. And the, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 12 that he's the accuser of the brethren. He stands before God and he accuses the brethren. Now, now he, he accuses in every direction. He accuses us to God, God to us, and us to each other. All he wants to do is create chaos, so discord, confusion, envy, strife, divisions. The devil is going to spend a lot of time trying to get you to think that God is something he's not. He, and, and he can go to one of two extremes. God is this sweet old grandpa in the sky that would never say a cross mean word and is just always going to you know, give you candy and cookies and ice cream. That's, that's just, that's God. Or, or he can get you thinking that God is actually Pharaoh. He is this mean, horrible taskmaster that doesn't care about you and just, get back to work, get back to work. Extremes. The devil's big into extremes. 
big into extremes. Jesus gave a parable. One guy had five talents, another guy two, and the other guy had one. Remember this? In Luke, it's 10 pounds, five pounds, one pound. Remember that? The guy with one pound, what was the excuse? One talent. He, he said, I know thee, Lord, that thou art a hard man. In the other place, that thou art an austere man. You're not fair, you're hard. You know why that guy hid the talent? He was blaming God. He didn't understand the true nature of God, and that's why he didn't feel that God was worth serving. So if the devil can get in there and make you think God is someone he's not and corrupt your knowledge of God, the whole life now is messed up. It starts there at that foundational thinking. The devil wants big things to become little, little things to become big. He wants to downplay the important and exaggerate the non-issues. God help me, that's something I've really been working on this past year is stop exaggerating things. Don't exaggerate. You guys have heard me with this illustration before. That if I don't answer your WhatsApp, I am going to be a homeless beggar in America. <laughs> have I explained that to you before? Because if you send a WhatsApp and I don't answer it, you, you could get upset. If I don't answer it right away, you could get upset and say, why is the pastor ignoring me? And, and then, because you're upset, you may not come to church. And if you don't come to church, somebody else may see that, and they get discouraged, and then they ask you, why didn't you come to church? Oh, pastor was ignoring me because he doesn't like me. And, oh, now you don't come to church because you got a bad taste in your mouth for the pastor. And then this side of the church starts seeing that that side of the church is dwindling, and they stop coming. And then before you know it, we close the church because hardly anyone is showing up. It's just me. Not even my family likes me anymore. Because I don't have a church here, I can't be a missionary. So i got to go back to America, and this is all I know how to do. I'm too old to get another job. I am going to end up homeless, living under an overpass, a beggar. And it all comes down to your WhatsApp. <laughs> Please don't send me. No, I'm <laughs> You're killing me. <laughs> See, it's not your WhatsApp. The problem is my thinking. I'm, I'm grossly exaggerating that. Yes? And I've got to stop and ask myself, where'd that thought come from? Who put that thought in my head that your WhatsApp is that important? Who put that thought there? Take your Bible, come to 1 Peter 5. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. First Peter 5 and 8. <clears throat> Peter writes, and we know that Peter had some experience with the spiritual battle. I mean like personal intimate experience. Jesus looked him in the eyeball and said, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> Ouch. And then at the end, wasn't it Peter? Jesus said to him, Satan has desired you that he may sift you as wheat, Right? I mean, Peter knows a thing or two about the devil and the spiritual battle, and he knows. Verse 8, be sober, be vigilant. So, so pay attention, be on guard. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, can I pause there just for a moment? A lion roars to scare you. I, I just want to put that in your mind because the devil wants you to live in a state of fear. Okay, now we'll, we'll revisit that in a moment. As a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So it's not just Peter. Peter says, what happened to me could happen to you. How do we deal with this? There's no full stop at the end of verse 8. Verse 9. Whom resist 
steadfast in the faith. The Bible never says to be afraid of the devil. Never. We don't run from him. We're not afraid of him. We resist him. How do we resist him? In James chapter 4, it says, submit to God. And then in verse 9, steadfast in the faith. So you need to know what Christ has taught you. That is the faith. And be steadfast in it. It doesn't matter if things are going good or bad. I'm going to live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Right? So he says at the end of verse 9, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So don't let the problems of your life, whether they are just problems or persecutions, don't let them shake you up and get you out of obeying Christ. Steadfast in the faith. So folks, you got to know your Bible. You, you got to. When, when Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness, remember after the 40 days of fasting? He tempts him three times. How did Jesus respond each time? It is written. It is written. It is written. When you look in Ephesians 6 about the armor of God, you know we have only one offensive weapon. Only one weapon. Only one offensive thing. The rest of it is defensive. The one offensive thing is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If the devil can knock the sword out of your hand, you have no way to combat what he is doing to you. Once the sword is down, you're done. You're done. So you need to cleave to that sword. Know how to use that sword. Go through it and through it until it becomes a part of you. What does the Bible say about you in Christ? Let me give you a quick list of things you need to be rooted and grounded in. Yes? The devil will fight against every one of these facts that I'm about to give you strongly. Number one, you're standing in Christ. Listen, please. You are born again, a child of God, regenerated, and you have eternal life. You are justified, forgiven, and washed in the blood from all of your sins. You are crucified, buried, and risen together with Him. You are joined to the Lord. And nothing, the Bible says, can separate you. You are a joint heir with Christ. The Bible says you're a citizen of heaven. And praise God, your passport cannot be revoked. <laughs> now, that's just your standing in Christ. These things are true of you, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus did for you. All you did was accept what he did for you. That's it. And because of that faith, these things are true of you. The devil will come in and try to say, ah, but maybe God has excluded you, put you out. These things are true of you. That's your standing in Christ. Here's your security in Christ. It gets better, actually. You are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's pretty secure. People say, you know, I got one foot in the grave. Not me, I got one foot in heaven. <laughs> if my earthly foot slips, I slip into heaven. <laughs> the Bible says I am hid with Christ in God. Oh, I love that. 
Like one preacher said, if the devil wants to get to me, the devil has to get in Christ and then somehow get in God. (laughs) I'm tucked away pretty nice and neat there. I am in the Father's hand and in the Son's hand, which is the same hand. And no man can pluck me out. I am promised that nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ. I've been promised that He will never leave me, nor forsake me, so that I may boldly say with the volume going up... (laughs) that I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The Bible says, as we discussed this past Thursday, I am preserved in Jesus Christ. And then in 1 Peter 1, the Bible says, I am kept by the power of God. I'm so glad he didn't say, I'm kept by my own power. I am kept by the power of God. When is he going to run out of power? (laughs) I'm kept as long as he has power. (laughs) Praise God. My standing in Christ, my security in Christ, listen to my significance in Christ. I am God's purchased possession. The price of my purchase was the blood of His Son. That is a high price tag. That's significant. I am a branch that is capable of being used by God to bear fruit. God can use you. Now, right away, the devil wants to slip in, right? The fowl of the air flies in and starts chirping in your ear going, uh, not, not you. You might want to just grab that, that thought captive and cast it down and go, no, no. Jesus said that if I abide in him, I'll bear much fruit. That's what he said. And that applies to me. I am a vessel that can be meat for the master's use. The Bible says that I am a fellow laborer Together with God. The Bible says that I am an ambassador. Sent out in Christ's stead to tell people about His Son. That's significant. These are no small things. This is all true of you in Christ. Now the devil will come in and try to get you to think and act contrary to what you are. These things are what you are. And he'll do anything to make you think this is not what you are. Come to 1 Peter chapter 1. I showed you in 2 Corinthians 10, taking every thought captive, bringing every thought captive, right, to the obedience of Christ. 1 Peter 1 verse 13. 1 Peter 1, verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. So, girding up your loins, that's protecting the midsection whenever you're about to do some heavy lifting, right? You, you guys that go to gym, we put a weight belt here, right? And we tighten it real tight. I mean, everything just kind of, we get that muffin thing going, everything just squirts out over the top. We tighten it tight because we're about to do some heavy lifting. When you're about to go into battle, you can't have the belt loose and things clanking around. You've you got to tie it all on nice and tight. Now he's saying this, that same thought of, of preparing yourself for battle, prepare your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Can I use the more modern phrase for this get a hold of yourself 
Gird up the loins of your mind. Get a hold of yourself, because sometimes our thoughts will run away with us. Amen? Your thoughts will run away with you. May I use a personal illustration of this just quickly? And this happens many Sundays, and please don't don't think that I am uh, upset by this. It's just part of the ministry, part of life. It's no problem, but it happens. On a Sunday morning, ding, phone goes off. I'm not coming to church today. Ding, phone goes off. When that happens seven or eight times before I make it to church, my mind starts running and going, oh, God, this is going to be a horrible service. No one's coming. Everybody has, you know, and they're not, they're not all just laying out of church. It's not like a lazy thing. Sometimes they're sick or just, you know, they can't avoid it. And I get that. That's why I say I'm not upset. But the devil then perches right there and starts saying, yeah, that God can't work today. I mean, listen, this is just discouragement, discouragement. He starts throwing fiery darts. And I got to hold up the shield of my faith to go, Lord, please protect me. What did you say, God? What did you say, Jesus, about this? He said, where two or three are gathered together, not 200 or 300. And I go, okay, now let me, which thought am I going to go with? The devil's saying, ah, you see, these five or six people said they're not coming, so you're going to have a bad service. Or do I believe what Christ said? Listen, I don't care who shows up. If they show up and they're true worshipers, I'm in the midst. I'll go with that. And then I show up and I can enjoy it. I don't care who's here. <laughs> now, it breaks my heart when certain people don't pitch. Trust me. But still, I can en- enjoy church and-, and you're not my enemies. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. We're on the same team. I don't want the devil to perch on my shoulder and make, make, it- make me think that it's me against you. It's not me against you. We're together. Now, I've got to approach my life, my ministry, with the, with the mind of Christ. Yes, i got to gird up the loins of my mind. Get a hold of yourself. You get one discouraging thought, and sometimes that will just run off and affect every other area of your life. So whenever you have these troubling thoughts, challenging thoughts, just pause for a moment and ask yourself this. Where did this thought come from? If it came from God, God can and will confirm it. Say, God, did this come from you? If it's God, He's not trying to confuse you. He will show you. He will somehow show you, yes, this is coming from me. The best way to do that is to open your Bible and see, is this something that God would say? Satan will get you to chase your tail. He loves to give you the runaround. He loves to play the what-if game. Right? You get bad news, even good news, right? It doesn't matter. He'll do it either way. But what if this happens? What if that happens? What if she says this? What if he says that? What if he's thinking this? And what if he he meant that? What What if... He gives you questions with no answers. God will give you questions to make you seek for the answer and then give you the answer. The devil just runs you around. But what if? But what if? But what if? You know what he's trying to do? Wear you out. Wear you out. Make your heart tired. Make your mind tired. You just, after a while, oh, I'm just so exhausted. You really haven't physically done anything. You're just so exhausted because your mind is going round and round trying to figure this out. And the Lord said, listen, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. 
peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. We, he's given us these promises to stabilize us, to keep our hearts and minds so that we don't go bonkers. But Satan wants you to just run and run and live in a state of fear. Yes? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if the rapture happens? Just let it stop there. <laughs> what if the rapture happens? <laughs> Second Timothy chapter 1. We're about done. Second Timothy 1, verse number 7. The devil's goal is to get you confused and scared. The Bible says God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Yes, sound mind. God has not given you the spirit of fear. Am I saved? Am I not? The Bible will give you an answer on that. And as soon as you read it, clear as day in the Bible, you, you know what your flesh or the devil will do? He'll sit there and go, yeah, but you, you know, it says that if you believe, it says if you called upon the name of the Lord, you'd be saved, but what if you didn't call right? You, you ever been down that path? Oh, the devil's run me in circles on that one. What if you didn't believe right? Do, do you hear the question? What if? What if? Okay, well, Mr. Devil, give me the answer to it then. He never does. He just says, well, what if? And, and the Lord says, listen, if you called upon my name, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's it. It's not complicated. There is simplicity in Christ. But the devil, 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3, wants to corrupt your mind from the simplicity in Christ. That's what it says. It's not that hard. But he wants, he wants you to think it is. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, God has not given us the spirit of fear, right? but of power, love, and of a sound mind. So last verse, Philippians 2, verse 5, and this is where we want to not only end the lesson, but with this issue, it all comes back to this, I believe. We take these thoughts captive, we bring them unto the obedience of Christ. Here's a really good way to measure your thought life to see if it's in a good place. When you have, let me not just say your thought life, but what you do about those thoughts. When you have ideas that lead you away from obeying the Bible, that thought did not come from God. I think that's a simple enough approach to this, right? It doesn't matter. Maybe if that advice came from some other person you greatly respect or Maybe you got it off of a YouTube video that has millions of views and likes. It doesn't matter if that thought makes sense in your mind. It makes sense to me. Maybe it did. But if it leads you away from obeying Christ, that thought didn't come from God. Make sense? Philippians 2 verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. There we go. There we go. That's how do I approach this spiritual battle? The devil's trying to attack the heart and the mind. So I'm going to look at the life of Christ 
and I'm going to look at how he ordered his mind, how he girded up the loins of his mind. I want to think like him. I want to think like him. You say, Brother Mike, we can't. If you couldn't, Paul wouldn't have said this. Yes, you can. You know what it says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16? We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. It's all a matter of application. That's all that it comes down to. As I mentioned at the beginning, we couldn't possibly cover everything that goes with this topic, but I hope that this will help you. Father, thank you this morning for the privilege of opening the Scripture. Please help us now to apply this mind of Christ and prepare us for what's going on.